0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, episode four now of the CFO show, uh, brought to you by Wheel, so Australia's leading spend management system. I am Adrienne Ramato, and I'm really excited to have Samir Kassam here today. Um, perhaps you could give us a little bit of a, an intro, an overview of, of who you are, and uh, then we can jump into it.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you, uh, thank you very much for having me, uh, Adriano. Uh, Adriana, as as, um, as you said, uh, my name is um, Samir Sam. I'm a co-founder and CEO slash partner of uh Rothsay. Uh, a little shout out to Noel Tufino from my accounts for for bringing this together. I'm not sure if that was going to come up uh, anyway, but uh, appreciate that introduction. Uh, always happy to to help out, and um, yeah, looking forward to this chat.
0: Awesome. So. Uh... Today, we're going to just do a bit of a a quick overview of the R&D tax incentive. Um, I know that, you know, you've probably come off that really busy time, um, mm-hmm. but now maybe from what I understand, it's probably the best time to really start thinking about little systems in place that you can um, put into your business to really start um, tracking and, and setting you up for the best position in, in about a you know 12 months time. Is that is that how you'd say it?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, it is kind of a bit of an all all year round uh, incentive in that, yeah, we came off a big deadline sort of end of April. Uh, a lot of companies though, and, and I'll sort of get into some of the detail a bit later, but, uh, you know, it is a refundable scheme for for most for most companies that are sort of at least in startup or growth and emerging, which is what we try to focus on. Uh, and and for those companies, sort of as quickly as you get it in following financial year end, which is now, then the sooner you can get your get your cash back from from the scheme. But I mean, I'm hoping that what I can sort of provide today is just a little bit of insight in terms of some of the things that Oz industry and the tax office are very cognizant of. Uh, little kind of tips and tricks to to you know a few hacks to to make life a bit easier for you uh, in the event that you do get a review and you should prepare your claim with the expectation that you will get a review at some point. Um, and yeah, we can sort of get into get into some of that.
0: Great, so quick warm up. Um, this always makes me feel better about myself. So, what's the biggest mistake that you've ever made?
1: Um, yeah, I did think I did try to have a little bit of a think about it, you know, <laughs> um I'm, I'm pretty. I'm, I think I'm, I'm pretty positive, so I don't dwell too much um, on 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 mistakes. But um, I think probably the biggest mistake if I went down. Oh, if I went down the personal path, I think that would probably take up our whole time allocation. <laughs> we will focus on on from a business standpoint. I I think holding off on making our first hire for about 6 months. So I think when when say say my business partner and I started the business we um were pretty nervous about hiring someone and we probably took about 6 months longer than we should have in mm-hmm. order to make someone on, but I think it was the best thing we ever did It sort of led us to 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 this point now sort of 130 people later right? So kind of I think hiring that first person doing that quickly um would have would have been a better move. So that's that's not like a, obviously a huge mistake. It's a learning lesson more, but but yeah, that's 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 what I came up with.
0: Yeah, you are a positive person then.
1: It's <laughs> like,
0: yeah, it's like that interview question. You're like, what's your you know, um, you know, your biggest weakness? Oh, I just care too much.
1: Oh, I care too much. i perfect- <laughs> per- oh god, I've heard it more. I'm a perfectionist. Um- <laughs> Um, I sometimes try to spend too much time collaborating with people. It's like, oh. I was <laughs> <You just know>? like, <laughs> say, I just
0: say yes to everything. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I love doing work, everything. I'll work too hard. Yeah, I do too much. Of it. <laughs> yeah, nice. nice. No, no, no. Um,
0: and uh, my favourite segment is I try to guess what your favourite coffee is. I'm no. going to guess a macchiato. I reckon you're like straight to the point with a little bit of fun on the side.
1: You're, you're, not, you're not far off. Uh, I'm a long black person. So a long black person. So I do, I am, I am absolutely black coffee, you know, match, match my heritage. Um, so, so no, but uh, I, I'm a long black macchiato after a good meal for sure.
0: Yeah. Nice. All right. So maybe for those tuning in, you like, that aren't perhaps in tech companies, I've been through this before, maybe you could give an overview um, of the R&D tax offset.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, the R&D tax incentive, it's a federal government uh, program, so it doesn't matter whereabouts um, you're based within the country, but it's um, very much designed to support uh, innovation uh, in in any industry, really. So we kind of, uh, you know, we have clients across uh, tech, obviously, but then obviously, uh, of course, biotech. Uh, life uh, anything else in the life sciences space, engineering, manufacturing, um, even in professional services, medical, a uh, whole bunch of different areas. So it's it's pretty industry agnostic. It can apply to absolutely anyone. Uh, but really what the government's looking to do is to support innovation. So uh, if you are sort of spending money uh, on, on, and that's wages and salaries, contractors, overheads, absolutely everything, but on trying to create new or improved products, processes, devices, or materials, uh, then, then sort of you're in the realm of an eligible R and D tax incentive claim, but you just need to be able to sort of display, uh, you know, that you are creating new knowledge, that the work that you're doing is experimental. So if you take, if you take a tech company, for example, you might have, uh, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, robotics on one end of the very, very illegible spectrum. And then, you know, you're taking pictures of your jumper and selling him on Shopify, that's probably on the other end of not eligible, right? So most mm-hmm. of our companies fall you know, in between and towards very much the deep tech um, sort of side of things, uh, but yeah, the, the the overview is you know if you're if you're under twenty million in revenue, you sort of can get up to forty three and a half cents in the dollar cash back. That's a combination of the corporate tax rate, twenty five cents, and an eighteen and a half cent uh, sort of uplift uh, to come to the forty three and a half cents. So if you're making money and you're profitable, you're already getting the benefit of the tax deduction at twenty five cents. Then your benefit's eighteen and a half. So the benefit's always uh, if you're under twenty million rev, eighteen and a half cents in the dollar up to 43 and a half cents in the dollar is the best way to look at it
0: right and can you give some more examples um of you know i think with ai and machine learning it's really easy to be like okay yep that's that's new processes new products um some of the areas where you know maybe people typically don't think of it but it actually would qualify for this
1: yeah it's a it's it's a good question i mean i think uh, a lot of people think the R&D tax incentive. When they, when you first start talking about it, they they think of it as you know people in white lab coats running around injecting mice, you know, um, and and that's it's, it's far more than that. So in, innovation is 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 a broad term, and it's getting broader and broader every day. Uh, so in terms of uh, you know we have like as you said, it's, it is easy to sort of assess when it's on the AI machine learning that that side of things. That's pretty pretty simple and straightforward. But if you have, uh, you know, a software client, uh, a software client where they are using sort of multiple different software coding languages in terms of the back end architecture of the platform, and that's where 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 eligibility really stands. Like it's it's not usually on the front end, like creating something beautiful to sort of work with and moving buttons in the right place and color schemes. That's that's sort of more supporting kind of stuff, but really it's more the back end algorithmic side of things. So if you have sort of software developers on staff, if you are kind of coding things up in a way where you can't sort of just jump online and pull something off a no code platform, or there isn't something open source that you can simply just integrate with the click of a button and you need to go through that sort of iterative software R and D process of writing some code, seeing whether that produces the right result. It doesn't come comes back. You do it again. That kind of iteration is is really the best way to look at it. And that, that's a, that's across. You, know, you know, if you if you're typically if you're building a platform from the ground up and you're not using a number of off the shelf solutions, right? There's gonna there should be something there for you. Is probably the best way to look at it.
0: Mm, I really like that frame framework to to think yep. about it. So yeah, building something not using off the shelf, not just sort of relying on existing sort of processes as on solutions. Yeah.
1: To, yeah, yeah. I mean it's complex. It's hard. If you're, you know, when 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 we've sort of gone through reviews and audits with um, Aussie, tr- Aussie tr- the Tax Office, what what they really want to see is they want to see real life examples of what that iteration and what that experimentation looks like. And so, you know, you might have conversations in Slack between developers saying this thing is effed, like it's not working. You know, like people get preheated about about that, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. and and we've submitted evidence of of those conversations to really show us industry on the technical side like as you can see from this when they were talking about this type of development you can mm-hmm. see the conversation being that it's absolutely not working you can see these guys are competent professionals in the field and, mm-hmm. and it's very very clear that it was an iterative process it was experimental in nature and so on you can see from the conversation that they're having in this mm-hmm. excerpt of this slack conversation that it's not something that's straightforward. And that's the sort of stuff that the industry loves to see. They love to see stuff being made in real time. What they don't want to see is something prepared after year end, giving you a summary of all the issues they had during the year because that that's obviously something that could have been fabricated. It's not really drawn back to things that were happening in real time. So, yeah, real-time evidence is is is, is really what they, what they want to see.
0: Okay. Well, it segue, segue is really nicely into what I next wanted to um, ask you about is sort of how how do you go through this um you know claiming process and you know you mentioned slack but what other evidence would you need to be gathering
1: yeah sure so i I'll, I'll start with kind of the the formal kind of application process and it's, it's it's kind of multifaceted and sort of operates across four four stages so and these are the four stages that we work through when when it comes to our clients so the first is kind of obviously identifying what that eligible activity is so together with 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 your advisor companies are welcome to self to claim themselves as well um, you don't need to use an advisor to do it, but there, there's quite a lot to navigate there. First thing is identifying what that project is. And that's what is that experimental activity that is, is designed to generate new knowledge look like. And so identifying, making sure that it's not something that's commercial in nature. So if for example, you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to, um, formulate a new beverage for the market, but it's really just sparkling water. And what you're going to do is carbonate this water and go and sell it. Right. But you know, that might be slightly different to things that are out there, but it's kind of pretty similar. The commercial side of things in terms of it being something that the market hasn't seen before, isn't as relevant as the technical piece. So if it was a new type of carbonated water, as an example, and you were using a different type of carbonation method, that's the activity, right? That's the illegible activity, not the fact mm-hmm. that there's a new carbonated water product on market. It's more the process um, that yeah. is the r So phase one is identifying that piece phase two is then uh, drafting up an r and project report and the submission with Oz industry. So there's an application process that you go through Oz industry where you talk about the core activities, the supporting activities, technical objectives, the new knowledge being de- developed what were the unknown outcomes like what were the, the things that you that you weren't sure exactly how you're going to come about um, resolving. Um, and that gets lodged with Oz Industry. Uh, once that's approved, you then, then you move into phase three, which is uh, the calculation process. So you're calculating R and D expenditure, salaries and wages, contractors, uh, overheads, uh, potentially technology, like you know, direct tech- technology costs, like actual depreciable assets can come into it as well. Yeah. Um, and then for some type of claims, you can from some claims, you can also then have feedstock, which is sort of feedstock inputs. So that's probably more relevant in agriculture. Uh, food, a few, a few other areas, um, and you uh, you calculate what a legible R and D expenditure looks like. So once you have that, move into phase four, and you uh, you prepare an R and D schedule. So the final step of the process is an R and D schedule, which goes into your company tax return. You must be a company in order to claim. You can't be a trust or a super fund or an individual. So once you get that schedule, uh, that goes into your tax return, and you lodge your tax return, and that's how the benefit comes from there. Whether it's a reduction in tax payable or cash back the final step of the process is is the lodgement of the income tax return.
0: And is that at certain, like, do those phases align with a certain part in the in the year or are you, have you doing like one to three instead of like the first part of the year? Yeah. So you...
1: Yeah. Good question. So, so you can, uh, applications open from 1st of July each year. So, mm-hmm. so we had a bunch of guys in the office on the weekend, uh, lodging applications on, on, on Saturday because that was the first. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, you 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 can lodge any time, and then really what you want to do is making sure that you're aligning uh, your R&D tax incentive process at the same time as your year-end accounts and tax. Because what you don't want is you don't want to get approval from AusIndustry and the r and piece is done and then you only start preparing the accounts and tax six months later where mm-hmm. you've got that approval there you're ready to get your benefit and so on and so forth but then you only start the accounts and tax so that's why you know when we have clients in the firm where we're you know our government incentives team is doing the r and tax incentive we have our tax and advisory guys doing the accounts and tax at exactly the same time such mm-hmm. that as soon as we get that approval from AusIndustry the tax and advisory guys can give the r and guys uh, the numbers for them to calculate R&D expenditure, get it finalised, and everything has a really smooth workflow about it. So you do want to align the two processes around yeah. the R&D piece and the year-end financials and tax return piece at the same time as best you can.
0: Yeah, great. Um, so for right now, what what's your best advice for people that are tuning in? Like what do they start sort of, be? what should they be yeah. thinking about? Yeah,
1: I think, I think my best advice would be that, you know, it's kind of documentation, documentation, documentation. Like isn't you just really really need to have uh, a good amount of support for the work that you're doing. What you really don't want to do is is to you know, have a couple of years of lodgements, get into an audit with the tax office. And that can come up for any reason. It's not necessarily the size of claim. It might be because you're in a high risk uh, sort of area. So for example, the highest risk areas are considered kind of mining, property development and construction are probably the two highest risk areas, then software, because there's so many claimants is considered a, a riskier area as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not to say look out, we our strike rates 100%, right? Like we've never kind of given a dollar back through through a review or audit, because we make sure that our clients have that right level of documentation in place. So The main thing is you don't want to create a huge amount of administrative burden for your team, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're defensible. And so what that is, is kind of if you're using sort of JIRA or something like that for for code management, then you want to be flagging things that you want to be flagging things using using whatever system you can that may be relevant for your R&D tax incentive claim. So you set up a flag to state that, okay, well, when we were doing this piece of the project, that was really difficult. That was hugely experimental. We had 15 different versions of it. You flagged that such that when you're mm-hmm. then engaging with your advisors later, you can run a report on all the flags and and here mm-hmm. you go, right? Here's all the support for all the technical side of things. And then what you want is on the numbers side of things, you want to be able to draw some correlation between what people were doing and the amount of time that they were spending back to those activities. You want to draw a connection between, between the two. Mm-hmm. Timesheets is kind of the best possible way to do that. It's not always easy to convince people to do timesheets, though, as, as as a kind of everyone in the accounting industry sort of knows. But yeah. uh, it is the best way to, to be able to support it. So you might have, you know, you don't need to do it in six-minute increments like or, or anything like that, but you yeah. might have a weekly timesheet of, you know, someone working 40 hours a week. They might say that I spent, you know, five hours on this, on, on this thing and I might spend eight hours on this thing. You kind of, like, get it done at the end of the week for what that week mm-hmm. looks like. And if you can draw some correlation between what the activities are and then what uh, those people are spending their time on, uh, that's that's a good way to go about it, but I think you know any good advisor will have kind of good templates in place that they can give their clients to sort of help yep. them track that through the year, and yep. then in the event that you do get uh, reviewed by either Osgentry or the Tax Office or jointly, as sometimes is the case, then you've got sort of just that good level of support uh, to, mm. to 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 come back to them with.
0: Yeah, amazing. Um, are you seeing sort of any trends um, pop up maybe in different areas of research or? You know, anything that you've sort of seen that's interesting about um, the innovation in Australia?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, AI has obviously, you know, been blowing up uh quite quite a bit sort of over the last six months right so we're we're seeing a lot more claimants in that sort of space i mean that's odd mm-hmm. that's also where uh when you know we, we work a lot with um sort of the venture capital and private equity markets as well and that's kind of where a lot of funding is flowing towards as well okay. so therefore that yeah. funding increases then r d expenditure increases so we're seeing a lot more uh companies go down that path and a lot of new companies are sort of starting to generate pretty significant revenue very very quickly um and so so the funding is sort of following that so i think Outside uh, of sort of AI and machine learning, I think it's a relatively tough capital market at the moment, and so so a lot of companies are struggling to to raise. Um, at least in, in the tech space, there's still a pretty healthy appetite within biotech that we're seeing. Um, so so that obviously then impacts uh, you know the amount of money that people are spending on on R and D projects. In I mean I think what, what's 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 important to to sort of for people to know is the administrative environment is is strict right like it's really not. Um, you know, we, we're, we, we're, we, we're, we're conservative, like when it comes to the claims that we, that we work on, uh, which, 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 you know, when you, when you think about, uh, you know, companies with capital constraints, uh, in that sort of early growth emerging phase, like there is, you know, there's, there, there's sometimes a healthy aggression, right. In terms of how quickly you want to grow, how much you want to claim. So clients do come at us saying like, what's the absolute most that we can get out of this mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Right. And we kind of have to pair that back and sort of say, it's really important to balance, that healthy aggression with having a good conservative defensive defensible claim right because the last thing you want is to receive hundreds of thousands of dollars and then two years three years down the track you have to pay all that back with penalties and interest and that can sink the company right and that has happened obviously so i think you know what what my kind of recommendation and trends that we're seeing is that The administrative environment is something to be taken very seriously um you know you need to have good quality documentation in place work with your advisors as early as as you can to start putting that together um Mm -hmm. such that you're you're creating a really good solid defensible claim because it's unfortunate that sometimes there are situations where clients are absolutely doing illegible r d they just don't have the support to back it up and you don't want to end up in that in that situation where you're leaving money on the table because of what could have been five minutes a week of admin um, for for what could have equated to you know hundreds of thousands of dollars back for for your business, right? So yeah. I think from a trend standpoint, I think the administrative environment um, is is at the moment rightfully rightfully quite um, strong. Um, we are seeing some instances where. Um, there is a bit of inconsistency in terms of the way it's being administered, um, but it's, it's th- those inconsistencies only come up when the quality of documentation is not 100. Right. percent. So you can really protect yourself with 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 good planning. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, I I had one question on that. If you um, if you don't have enough sort of evidence or support, is it kind of 100 percent or nothing or is that how or are they saying you know you couldn't claim seventy five percent because you had evidence for the seventy five percent that you claimed but that twenty five percent is it
1: yeah look yeah it's, it's it's a good question I mean I mean I think companies that have absolutely no support for anything that they're doing just shouldn't claim right um yeah. like you know but but I think um no, there isn't really that much of a kind of what we could support so if you have multiple activities potentially like yep. if, you're, if you're submitting five or six different activities and you've got good support for three and not so much for two our advice is to not claim those two and focus on those three that you could really defend because it's just going to be, it's also time consuming, right? Going through an audit, you know, you're spending all this time with those interested in the tax office. You're sort of fighting them on different things and so on and so forth. And Mm. if you've got three really, like if you've got two activities that aren't well supported and three that are, it's kind of, it's a bit toxic, right? Like the, the feeling that the tax office, office industry might have about those two will begin to seep okay. into those other three. So, right. um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. I think I think it's important to to just be confident about what it is that you're claiming, mm-hmm. uh, and really not try to push the envelope too far by any means um, in 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 terms of yeah, in terms of what you want to go for.
0: Right, so they don't view the activities in isolation. They will no. kind of take a holistic
1: view. Yeah, take a holistic view for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, although although they have said, you know, in in support of kind of, it's it's also just not uh, necessarily commercially realistic that everyone's right on top of this from day one, right? Yep. And so so they have come out in you know we we meet with them on a on a pretty regular basis via um, these reference group meetings that they hold. That was in tax office hold with private practitioners like ourselves. And what they've sort of said is that for first year claimants, the standard of proof is not going to be as high as for people that have been claiming for multiple years. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're if you're sort of in the first year of business, second year of business, you're doing your first R and D tax incentive claim and your documentation mm-hmm. is like at like eighty percent. It's not a hundred percent, but it's 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 decent then you are encouraged to still claim. And the tax office will take into, or in tax office will take that into account, that it's your first year of claim. But then it's really up to, up to you to have that discussion with your advisors to sort of say that, okay, well, we have this amount of documentation. What do you think? Do you think that's enough for us to be able to submit a claim? Um, and if your advisors agree that that it is, they should then also tell you, like, here are some areas where we saw some gaps and some holes. Mm-hmm. and. You know for the next claim we'd really like you to focus on making sure that all these things are tied up really nicely uh for the second year claim because i think it's fair to say that if you've had one year of successful claim a second year a third year a fourth year and by that time you still sort of haven't you know got your act together on quality of documentation that's probably not good enough right and i think yeah. that, that's fair that's a fair view from us to the tax office but they will be a bit more lenient on the first-year claim
0: amazing yeah, that's really interesting. That's a, a good encouragement to anyone tuning in who is um, sort of thinking about it. Just, you know, there will be yeah. some leniency, um, and seek some support from your advisor on what you should be doing there. I guess yeah. the final question um, is whether you have any sort of additional tips for people to improve their uh, processes so they, you know, it smooths out that uh, that claiming process.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think something that I recommend uh, is is. You know, I think I think the, the, the space since it became a refundable incentive uh back from one July twenty eleven. Uh, so it's been obviously been around for a while. It's it's maintained its form for the most part, um, over that period. So there is a good amount of consistency in terms of at least the law that sits behind it, um, even if the administrative environment has sort of gone through gone through waves a little bit. Um, there 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 certainly was a time when there was some pretty cowboy advisors um sort of or sort of running schemes on the R and D tax incentive. Um, and I think if you're a company that feels like it's too good to be true, uh, that you know you don't have the documentation and you have an advisor that's kind of shoving it down your throat for like you know a success fee, um, yeah. that's probably something to be pretty wary of. Um, and and I think the the best like you know we know what we're good at in our firm, right? And, and we're good at lots of different things, but we also know what we're not good at, for sure. So if if your accountant is not an expert in the R&D tax incentive, I would get them to refer, they, they should have someone that yeah. they can refer it on to that he's an expert, it is a, a very, very complex part of the law. I mean, to give you an example, our whole team uh, that does R&D tax incentive claims, they're all scientists and engineers, they're not accountants um and, and because it is a very very technical process in terms of identifying mm-hmm. uh you know what the hypothesis of the activity was you know what the experimentation looked like and so on and so forth so it's really not uh you know accountants do do it and do do a good job of it uh, yeah. but it really is a specialist area and so yeah get, get your advisor to refer you to someone that really knows what they're doing yeah uh, as, as as opposed to sort of just have, like the worst thing you could do is kind of just to have a crack and hope for the best that's that's definitely not the way uh the incentive should be treated
0: Yeah, I was speaking to our head of finance, and and she was saying that, um, you know, yes, getting an expert in it can be expensive, but it's definitely worth doing it the right way, getting all of the evidence, getting the process, and you end up probably doing better in the claim anyway. Um, Yeah, you will. I mean, they'll be
1: a they'll be able to identify things, uh, you know, that, that you may not have thought of that were eligible for. So they shouldn't be paying for themselves in terms of benefit, um, absolutely. Um, the other thing is that your advisor must put their tax agent reference number on on the application. So they are putting their name to it when it's being lodged and they're lodging it on your behalf. Um, if, stay away from anyone that's kind of getting you to lodge it yourself and it is helping you out in the background. That's, um, yeah. they're, if they're not gonna put their name on it, uh, you shouldn't be working with them. So it has gotta be something that they, they sign off on for sure. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Samir. That has been amazing. Um, Really, really interesting. Um, And I also, again, want to thank Noel for the intro. Uh, I owe you both a a long black or maybe it's lunch and a a macchiato. That
1: sounds
0: good. Well, thank you very much. much. It was an absolute pleasure. Enjoy your inspirational grey background and I will- <laughs> Lovely day. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Why I'm throwing shade at your background when well, I'm sitting in this awful room. No, but
1: you, your your background is a macchiato. It's perfect. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. All right. See you later. Have a good Cheers,
1: day. Okay. Bye. Bye.